Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 371 of the FCPA Compliance Report. I'm pleased to announce a new sponsor to the FCPA Compliance Report, it is Compliance Week. Compliance Week is publishing my new book, The Complete Compliance Handbook, which will be the most up-to-date compliance volume available. It incorporates both the evaluation of corporate compliance programs and the new FCPA enforcement policy. It it is a one volume, which would take a deep dive into the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program, innovation in compliance, the board of directors role, and a wide variety of other topics. It will also help you to understand what you need to do to improve your compliance program with a 31-day program. It will be available in April from Compliance Week. It is available for pre-sale now. You can check it out on my website, www.fcpacompliancereport.com. Today I have back with me James Kukios. James is a partner in Morrison and Forrester, and he discusses the firm's December International Anti-Corruption Newsletter. We take on five topics for this week's, uh, or this podcast, the Keppel Offshore uh, Enforcement Action, both in the United States and Singapore, the Trump administration's reaffirmation of the fight against international corruption as a top security priority, We take a look at Jeff Sessions' call for greater cooperation in international criminal cases. We consider the United Kingdom's long-term strategy for anti-corruption. And finally, the government of China issues warnings to government employees and state-owned enterprises around bribery and corruption. I think you'll find it a fascinating exploration of a wide variety of topics. As always, James Kukios is one of the most knowledgeable FCPA compliance practitioners around, having been at the Department of Justice Fraud Section FCPA unit for multiple years. This is Tom Fox. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello again, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, back for another episode. Today, I'm extraordinarily pleased to have uh, my colleague, James Kukios, a partner at Morrison Forrester and fellow U of M alum, uh, back for another exploration of the Morrison Forrester monthly client alert for uh, international anti-corruption enforcement actions. The uh, This is really focuses on what happened in December. In fact, it's called the Top 10 International Anti-Corruption Developments for December. It came out in January, and I've finally been able to sort of lasso James down to uh, take some time to visit with us, which I greatly appreciate. Thanks, hey, Tom. James. Go Blue. Hopefully we didn't lose too many uh, Ohio State or Notre Dame listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't say what I would think of that on air, but I will just say TS, baby. Um, <laughs> with, uh, with that, uh, James, uh, I you know, December was just an extraordinarily interesting month from many uh, directions from the FCPA, but I really wanted to try and focus, uh, if I could, on the international components and start off with uh, Keppel Offshore, the Keppel Offshore FCPA enforcement action, which I thought was a, a stunning action on many levels. But I was wondering if you might be able to take us through your observations on the international uh, component of it. Sure. So you're right, Tom. It was a very interesting uh, action and a very strong end to the year for DOJ's FCPA enforcement program. It was a uh, when combined with Brazil and Singapore, it was about a f- uh, over four hundred million dollar, four hundred twenty two million dollar resolution. So it was a very strong um, end to the year in that regard. And I think also 
we obviously have heard a lot about the Lava Jato or car wash investigation over the last couple of years. And it was obviously a large Lava Jato related investigation with alleged bribery by an offshore company to get contracts from Petrobras, Brazil's state-owned oil uh, company. And there are a lot of interesting things in there. I think one thing is we've seen cooperation over the last several years between Brazil and the United States, especially with respect to Lava Jato and Embraer and a couple other cases. Uh, but this appears to be the first coordinated action that also involved Singapore. Um, so that's a new player in the field, not necessarily that there hasn't been uh, cooperation between Singapore and, and other jurisdictions in the past, but this is sort of a very large coordinated settlement between Singapore, Brazil, and the United States. So we've got three continents involved uh, and a very large action showing international cooperation at its finest. So one of the things that interested me was the follow-on uh, prosecutions that have been announced by the Singaporese government, where they actually uh, appear to be looking at some of the senior individuals and seniors, sen- excuse me, senior corporate executives from Keppel. That would be a new development from Singapore. We've also heard that uh, Sing- Singapore is considering uh, moving to a DPA prosecutorial uh, tool, which uh, certainly in my mind would help uh, not only prosecution, but also uh, enforcement and uh, compliance engagement across uh, Singapore and the globe. But uh, in terms of the individual prosecutions, James, do you see that as an extension of what the United States uh, really has started over the past couple of years with the Yates memo and the additional international cooperation? Yeah, Tom, definitely. This this goes well be before the Yates memo. Um, over the last several years, 10 years or so, DOJ has really been trying to encourage other countries to enforce anti-corruption laws uh, and work with them. And one of the things they've been doing, and this goes all the way back to cases with the SFO in the UK and, and cases in Brazil, but they've really divided up the world and said, look, these are your defendants. These people are based in your jurisdiction. You should really take the take the lead in prosecuting them, and we'll prosecute people that are in the United States or else um, maybe can't fall within your jurisdiction. So we saw people in in a spec case and and other cases in the UK where the um, UK authorities would prosecute individuals who lived in the UK or the subsidiaries that were in the UK. This is an extension of that. And here, basically what the US is saying is, look, Singapore, you have competence to do this. You, You are affected by this you are the right ones to take this action. Uh, And we see Singapore apparently, uh, as you noted, Tom, uh, having an interest in doing that. And so that's good for the overall um, anti-corruption program uh, and is consistent with what DOJ has been trying to do over the last several years. I think it's also reflected in the fact that we have the $422 million combined penalty which has been divided up between the three jurisdictions as well, half going to Brazil, a quarter going to Singapore and a quarter going to the United States, which is another trend where the United States is trying to give credit to companies and coordinate settlements with international law enforcement partners to try to make it um, more of a global effort as opposed to just a unilateral U.S. effort. So with, uh, I think most uh, compliance practitioners would think of Singapore as a relatively low risk, certainly if you use the Transparency International uh, Corruption Perception Index, James, but it also shows that this enforcement action to me shows that uh, the invidiousness of corruption can really land anywhere and uh, everyone must be not only vigilant, both prosecutors, but also 
defense lawyers and lawyers like yourself and myself, but also corporations to uh, make sure uh, they have the appropriate policies, procedures, and corruption regimes in place, anti-corruption regimes. That's right. That's right, Tom, for sure. One other thing I think it's interesting about the Keppel um, resolution is if you take a look at it, um, some of the alleged bribes are alleged to have gone to a political party, right? Uh, which is not always not always evident. It's obviously in the language of the FCPA, um, but I think when most people think about the FCPA, they think about bribery to actual people. Uh, and in Keppel, they talk about bribery to political parties. Uh, and I think that's also a good wake-up call that your compliance program can't be just focused on just individuals, uh, but needs to be extended to political parties, political party candidates, and political party officials. Uh, that's a great point. I talk about it that in the context of South Africa and the African National Congress quite a bit, so it's uh, good to see that reminder in an enforcement action. Uh, that's right. James, uh, I found it very interesting that we saw Attorney General Sessions call for greater cooperation in international criminal cases. Now, these remarks, I think, were a little bit broader than than simply anti-corruption. Nevertheless, uh, it's a series of remarks, or at least a couple of times I've seen Attorney General Sessions over the past year really talk about the enforcement of currently existing laws and that the United States commitment to doing it on an international basis. I guess, what were your thoughts on uh, his remarks? Sure, Tom. So we obviously, uh, when we look at, when we do our top 10, we look at DOJ policy statements quite a bit. And I'd say my reaction to those remarks is they're very consistent with longstanding DOJ policy. In fact, I was brought back to, uh, uh, believe it was late last year when acting assistant attorney general for the criminal division, Ken Blanco, gave a very similar speech uh, talking about the importance of international cooperation in fighting transnational crime. Uh, and I think that this was very much in line with that. And so obviously, um, Attorney General Sessions has his own um, priorities that we, we know about the opioid crisis and, and uh, his views about illegal immigration and things like that. And so he's talking about transnational crime in that regard. But he also talks about the importance of um, also transnational corruption and the importance of fighting uh, um, uh bribery and, and whatnot um, as part of that transnational fight against crime and cooperation. So I think if you, you add into that, this is really a very consistent theme with prior administrations, both Democratic and Republican. And a lot of people are wondering, you know, would, would the Trump Justice Department not be interested in foreign bribery and things like that? And I think that Attorney General Sessions puts it into context that we're still interested in that. We're still interested in, in all sorts of transnational uh, crime and working with our foreign law enforcement partners to do that. James, one of the phrases that you used in an earlier podcast that has stuck with me and struck me at the time you said it was, in many ways, you felt the year 2018 was a year of uh, co consolidation and clarification at the Department of Justice. Uh, based on uh, your thoughts, I would perhaps even add uh, the phrase continuity. Uh, because I think you're absolutely correct that we see a lot of continuity, um, no matter who really the political appointees are. I think that's right. Uh, and, and Tom, I, I don't want to get ahead of you, but I know uh, one of the items in our top 10 was the Trump administration's first national security strategy. Right. And if we look at that, we see another example of the continuity there. Um, that's a document that's put out by uh, every administration to talk about what their their priorities are for a national security strategy. 
And the Trump administration's first NSS, or National Security Strategy, includes a plank of countering foreign corruption. And let me just quote it, because I think if you hear the actual words, you'll see as, as the great way you just described it, the continuity with prior administrations. And that is, quote, using our economic and diplomatic tools, the United States will continue to target corrupt foreign officials and work with countries to improve their ability to fight corruption so U.S. companies can compete fairly in transparent business climates. Now, that's a theme that has been long argued by DOJ and SEC about the importance of enforcing the FCPA, that it can, uh, among other things, it helps U.S. businesses compete fairly and transparently. But that's a particularly important theme, I think, for the Trump administration. So while it has continuity, that really was one of the themes that President Trump campaigned on about making uh, foreign commerce fair again for U.S. companies. And I think what this shows is that, uh, to a certain extent, even though there was some rhetoric back in 2012 by uh, then not President Trump about the FCPA, I think people in his administration have seen how the enforcement of FCPA can actually further some of the goals of fairness uh, in foreign trade that President Trump espoused during the campaign and as president. And James, if I could tie that to some of the remarks that Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein made when he announced the new FCPA corporate enforcement policy, he particularly uh, or specifically talked about the economic aspect of uh, and the economic invidiousness of corruption and what that did to countries and how that negatively affected U.S. businesses for un, uh, disleveling or unleveling the playing field. And that so one of the reasons that the Department of Justice would continue to pursue cases vigorously was an economic component. And when I saw that, uh, the uh, he made those remarks in late November. And then, of course, early on in December, we had Attorney General Sessions remarks. And then a little bit later in December, we had the uh, NSS released. I really saw a continuity uh, put together in, in a shorter time frame, perhaps, than I'd seen recently, but really stating there are multiple reasons that the uh, United States government and the Department of Justice would continue vigorous enforcement. And uh, all of those reasons are important to this administration. I think that's right. And I think we can even go back to when the SEC chairman candidate was uh, was talking about the paper he had helped co-author several years ago about FCPA enforcement and how unfair it was to U.S. businesses. And then during his Senate testimony remarked, uh, you know, the world has changed over the, since I since I helped write that paper. Uh, other countries are now involved in this. The playing field has become more level. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that was the gist. And I think if you really do look at the DOJ and SEC enforcement record, you do see a lot of foreign companies. Um, if you're a foreign client, use too many foreign companies uh, being involved in the uh, FCPA enforcement actions. And so I think when you actually really look at what DOJ and SEC have been saying for many years, when you look at the enforcement record, there really is an effort. It's not that foreign companies are targeted, but one, but foreign companies are not overlooked. And that helps to for the policy folks, justify uh, that this enforcement program helps level the playing field. And I think, again, at the risk of repeating myself, I think that that was a theme that President Trump campaigned on. And I think that uh, the folks who work for him have seen how FCPA enforcement can actually play into that theme and help U.S. businesses in that regard. 
James, if we could turn now to uh, countries outside the United States, we had a couple of uh, very interesting sort of uh, warnings, announcements, policies uh, released around anti-corruption enforcement and in uh, prosecution. Uh, The first was in the United Kingdom, where they set a long-term strategy for anti-corruption enforcement. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that? So, sure, sure. In uh, in December 2017, the UK released a five-year strategy framework for tackling domestic and foreign bribery. And they also announced that they were creating a new economic crime center that would be tasked with coordinating the country's response to economic crimes. The strategy itself was supposed to run from 2017 to 2022. It lays out the government's agenda for fighting corruption at home and abroad for the next five years. It builds on an earlier plan that was released in 2014. And then it also builds on uh, commitments that were made at the May 2016 London Anti-Corruption Summit, which was a a summit hosted and called for by the UK for many nations to get together and make commitments to fighting corruption worldwide, both home and abroad. Um, And so this is really a, a building on that. And the strategy itself details six priorities for the parliament including improving the business environment globally, which I think goes to what we were just talking about in part, Tom, the leveling of the playing field, and working with other countries to combat corruption, which is obviously what we started out this podcast by talking about um, greater international cooperation. Um, So the UK is is continued to be publicly committed to working with other countries and also at home to eliminate corruption. And in order to help do that, the Home Secretary also announced that there would be the creation of a national economic crime center. Um, And the idea there would be to help better coordinate anti-corruption enforcement and policy efforts. Uh, And that includes, people might ask, well, where does that leave the SFO, which is kind of the premier anti-corruption law enforcement agency in the UK? And the answer is, according to this plan, the uh, the new national crime agency will, will be able to work directly with the serious fraud office uh, and task them with investigating the most serious cases of fraud and bribery, including anti-corruption. And then, James, we even had a very interesting uh, set of announcements come out from China, uh, really with a dual focus. The first was internally to government officials inside of China and indeed state-owned enterprises. Uh, if you have received bribes or tried to extort improper payments, you may well be sanctioned extraordinarily harshly by the Chinese government. But also, and this is the other, the part I found very interesting, that state-owned enterprises must confront overseas corruption. And we had not seen the Chinese really take on overseas corruption, at least with a formal announcement previously. So uh, what does all this mean? Well, this continues the the chairman, the president, uh, Xi Jinping's campaign over the last several years, the anti-corruption campaign over the last several years, which was really stepped up at, to an even higher level uh, during the Communist Party meetings back in October. Uh, to really focus on domestic anti-corruption. Uh, it's interesting, if I can digress for a minute, my, my first job, as you may call it, anti-corruption is when I was a, a, a junior in college and I was working at a think tank here in Washington, D.C., looking at corruption in Asia. And it always struck me um, how it seemed, at least to a certain extent, how the Chinese Communist Party could use anti-corruption campaigns for political purposes and one of my favorite ones was always the illegitimate feasting, um, which every once in a while they'd crack down on illegitimate feasting 
and go after certain party officials. And that's really what the first one is. The first announcement here was that um, the Communist Party was going to try to root out and look for uh, uh, private home dinners, spa vacations, and things like that where essentially where there was graft and corruption, but the officials are trying to hide it behind closed doors. Um, but I think for companies doing business in China, you know, there's long been a focus in, in FCPA enforcement actions, um, gifts, travel, entertainment in China. And this is just another warning that China is going to be looking at these things more closely. And so when that happens, you know, if that gets published in the Chinese media, DOJ and SEC read the press. Um, they might read about a company getting in trouble. For China, it's more focused, I think, on the officials. But obviously, if it comes out that official was getting illegitimate feasting, for example, from sponsored by a, a multinational company, that could come to the enforcement agency's attention. And it just kind of reinforces, again, the special problem of gifts, travels, and entertainment in China. Problem in a lot of places, but in China, we've seen that to be a particularly high risk. The interesting thing about the state-owned enterprises overseas, Tom, is it's a little unclear to me whether this is focused on Chinese officials who work at state-owned enterprises getting bribed or the state-owned enterprises paying bribes itself. And I think it's the former. Uh, this seems to be more of a um, focus on state officials at state-owned enterprises receiving bribes as opposed to paying bribes. And one, if we get back to the economic fairness argument, one of the big criticisms of FCPA enforcement is that some people think that the Chinese state-owned enterprises, Russian state-owned enterprises, and other, other state-owned enterprises in other countries are some of the biggest bribers out there. And if we're crack, cracking down on Western companies and OECD comp, comp, countries, uh, companies, uh, that just leaves the field open for other countries who may not believe in the anti-corruption uh, campaign to bribe officials in Africa and places like that. There have been some uh, uh, prosecutions over the last couple of years, for example, in Kenya, where state-owned enterprises from China are, are accused of paying bribes to Kenyan officials. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how far this goes. Is it just focused on SOE officials getting bribed, or is it actually focused on SOEs paying bribes? And if it's the latter, that could be a major sea change in the anti-corruption effort. Uh, in leveling the playing field. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how that plays out. I guess I would just add, James, that uh, for any Western company doing business in China, please remember GlaxoSmithKline and uh, the grief that it came to in terms of a $500 million fine and four executives criminally charged and convicted. And for those uh, state-owned enterprise of uh, Chinese state-owned enterprises who may engage in bribery and corruption outside of China, I would just remind them that the jurisdictional reach of the FCPA is quite wide, as is the uh, UK Bribery Act. And the Department of Justice has not been shy about using that jurisdictional reach. So, uh, I, but I do certainly agree with your final point, James, that if state-owned enterprises are now must uh, engage in the fight against bribery and corruption actively, uh, that really is a sea change, and it really could portend a greater uh, awareness of uh, the invidiousness of bribery and corruption and, and maybe moving towards um, a worldwide recognition of that. Well, James, as always, this is be a development to look for, Tom. It's been a fascinating exploration. I've been visiting with James Kukios, partner in Morrison Forrester, on the firm's 
top 10 international anti-corruption developments for December 2017. We'll certainly link to this in the show notes, James, and I'll be very interested to see what you guys uh, have from January. So thank you very much. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have listened to the FCPA Compliance Report on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the oldest podcast in compliance. Also, if you would subscribe to our podcast, it would greatly help our numbers and also help get the word out. So I'd appreciate it if you could do that. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Don't forget to check out a copy of my new book, The Complete Compliance Handbook, which is available for review and pre-sale order on my website, www.fcpacompliancereport.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.